grasping the thin, almost translucent veil between that of fact and fiction, revealing mysteries of the past, folklore passed down from father to son, unsolved murders, and things that go bump in the night. You've entered Deceptive Reality. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deceptive Reality. My name's Nick, and this, this, my friends, is the loquacious Bert. <laughs> loquacious? Yep. Is that what you said? Loquacious. Man, I feel really dumb when we have these now, because I'm like, I have no clue. what It makes me sound like an Aquaman. <laughs> no, actually, this is, this is nothing related to Aquaman. It's Aww, someone man. who is good at talking. And speaks oh. eloquently. Why are you lying to the people for, Nick? Uh, they've heard you with <laughs> listen, that radio voice there. They know. Listen, I can tell you firsthand. I was uh, <laughs> I was doing a recording this weekend. And when I was doing it, when I played it back, I go, that isn't even a word. Like that right there, not a word. I created some, and then I created an entire phrase that I know has never been a phrase with words. It's never been words. <laughs> oh, wow. That's that. Matt, I don't know if that's good or not. Were you having it's, a little spell there or something? Well, or? listen, hey, it's going to be fun. It's, I want to see if people figured out. You know, I was actually going to ask ChatGPT at one point in time right. to create a word and a description that I could use for everyday life. Just okay. have it randomly pick a word. And then just applied into my conversation just to see if people pick up on it and if other people start using that word. <laughs> so this is a brand new word you want to add. You want to add, like, create a word. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's never existed. You should do it. I accused you of that one episode, actually. You did. And listen, yeah. intrepidatious, baby. <laughs> intrepidatious. Bam. We See, this is how this I learn morning. things. I, I, <laughs> I go on a podcast and hear a word I don't know and find out later it's a it's a brand new word. Listen, it's good for everyone, Nick, if you think about it. Like me, I'm creating yeah. words. I created words that existed before. Right. It's a win-win. I, th- I think I wasn't the only one who accused you of that, though. Everyone accused me. They said, that's not a word. And I'm sitting there going, man, I could have sworn that's a word. <laughs> and when I looked it up, I'm like, vindication yeah you're the scrabble champion you would have beat us there actually it's funny in the so i speak at maybe a a third grade level (laughs) but when i play scrabble or there's a words with friends when i used to play words with friends oh yeah every single game that we've ever played i've almost won that you know why i used to play it and she used to get annoyed (laughs) Do do you know why you always win no, I I assume that I know a lot of words, but I just don't. You're, you're loquacious. That's why. That's what it is, See? boys and girls. I'm a much better writer than I am a speaker. Uh, like we've got a blog right now, Nick. I don't know if you know. I cheat oh, a lot yeah. on that, though. I cheat a lot on that. Listen, <laughs> I look up stuff and I go, yeah, we should probably use that. Uh, the I tell you what, the blogs I've been coming up with here lately, bangers. People's been liking them. Oh, yeah. So if you've not checked out our blog, check out our blog if you're interested. Anything that we cover for the next following series of days, bam, mm-hmm. blog articles on it. Like we did the it's infield quarter guys. For you guys now, this is going to be like two weeks ago. Right. Three weeks ago. But 
Prime example for that one, I talked about Bill's voice and the medical research behind it. Who does that? That creeped me out. When I first heard that and it was was live, I was creeped out. And that's not easy. Everyone that I talk to, that's the first thing they mention is, dude, we thought episode one was pretty good. And then we went to episode two and then we listened. We first off, you didn't. You said there was audio files, but we didn't understand there was like actual legit audio files in the narration. They said, right. The moment those hits freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that scared me, man. I wasn't expecting that. I'm glad it happened. But oh, I, I, mean, I wasn't expecting it. It made for a fun podcast. Speaking of which, Nick, this yeah. is my topic again. Last week, we covered your topic, which was a banger. I like uh, that topic. I liked it, but there's something about that that ticked me right off. And you're all going to have to go back and listen to find out what it is. And the best part is, the best part is, and this was off our podcast. I don't know if we should bring this up, Nick. I mean, I guess at this point in time, they've already seen the podcast. If you've not yeah. watched that podcast, go back and see us. It's the Jersey right. Devil podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The, They'll have seen it by the time this comes out. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah. We figured something out after the podcast. When the record button was oh. off, there's something we figured out, Nick. We pieced oh, that yes. bad boy together. I was shocked. I was shocked to find that out. So after the podcast, for anyone that doesn't know, we was trying to figure out the New Jersey Devil and why all these spots happen. And Nick and I was talking about it. And we was like, I wonder if this is near a, like a national park. And guess what right. we determined? It was darn in one. It's, it's in, in national one. Park. We're doggone investigators over here. Listen, this we is why you come to our channel. Solved it. We're That's solving right. I've not mysteries. heard other people say this. I mean. I've not heard anyone say this. I don't know because I've never. <laughs> I've turned <laughs> off every episode, apparently, that's ever said, tonight, we're covering the New Jersey Devil. I'm like, no, blank. So yeah, um, I bet you won't do it in the future. No, not now. Now I understand what it was. At first, oh. I just heard it. And I'm like, man, this is so dumb. I'm not. Yeah, I'm actually coming up with some hypotheses on some other things. Nick, our case today, when oh. I did a little deep dive on it, I have a hypothesis on that. Also oh, have a hypothesis on something on my channel. Mm-hmm. The more cases I do, because it's in the same set of things, I'm like, I'm noticing right. a trend. So we're just figuring it all out over here, Nick. You don't oh, know yeah. what this one is. I've deliberately no. kept this from him. Uh, well, you do that every time. It's part, yes. it's part of our, our, our shtick. We For don't know. Sure. We're sure. always confused and that's how we like it. I wouldn't have it any other way. That's right. I brought uh, my new journal to, to write with. You're Nick. And nope. also, uh, not, not that you guys will understand my pain. Last week, I had a notebook. And uh, let's just say I threw the pen away because I got a clicking problem. I got a real bad <laughs> clicking problem. I like to click the pen thing. So now I've got a notebook. Look, this is a, a nice. one subject. And I got a pencil that's got a clicky thing. But I can't click it too many times because lead will keep going out. So, Oh, that's right. I'm old school. I got the old fashioned pencil. (laughs) Number two, baby. You could take tests, Nick. I could. I could. It is number two as well. Yeah. Oh, I know. Sure is. I'm test ready. And this is a test for us. This is a test, Nick. Are you ready to see what the uh, topic is? 
I am ready to draw a picture and listen. For anyone that doesn't know, on the YouTube machine, if you're not on YouTube, any of the pictures or things that we're going to talk about, I'm going to put on Instagram, Facebook, uh, probably Reddit, uh, but I can't wait to see Nick's face when we get to the topic. Let's stop talking about All it. Right. Let's be about it. Let's go. Today, we peer into the recesses of a story so intriguing, yet shrouded in mystery. It has left both skeptics and believers questioning the very fabric of our understanding. A story of one man who dared to come forward with information so volatile it put everything he held dear at risk. Bob claims to have carried out tasks most of us can only dream of or have nightmares about. Tasks involving technologies so advanced they could only be described as otherworldly. Today we need to answer, is Bob a whistleblower from within the mysterious confines of Area 51, or is he a mere fraud, weaving an elaborate tapestry of fabrications? Brace yourselves as we journey into the tangled saga of a man who insists he's held the future of humanity in his very hands. Welcome to Deceptive Reality. All right, <laughs> so I know a couple things about this. Okay. One, this is your favorite topic. This is like my I can favorite tell. topic. And I don't know if you got to blur it out later, but I held up my notepad because I knew what it was as soon as <laughs> it started talking. I don't know if you've got to censor that. And the third thing, this is going to be a 14-part episode, so <laughs> buckle up. Because this is Bert's man. This is this is the dude. Listen, he loves this guy. I have researched Bob Lazar my entire life because this happened in 1982, as I believe the year that this all started. From the beginning of Bob Lazar. Now, the narration's not going to go into a lot of this. There's a lot of questions that I know is going to come out of this episode. Nick, you and I have talked about mm. Bob Lazar. The reason oh, yes. that I wanted to bring this one up is because I keep referencing, you know, this Bob Lazar and the Bob Lazar case and the Bob this and the Bob that. And I'm like, people probably don't really know who Bob Lazar is. Like, you know, of Bob Lazar. Right. But unless you know the whole story of Bob Lazar. You'll never appreciate when I'm talking about it. So I said, episode, baby. Yeah, I, I need this for research material because I do not know about Bob Lazar deeply. I only hear him, like you said, coming up in every conversation or story you read about this. Mm -hmm. So this is study material for me. So what I did on this is I kept as close to the narrative that is, as I always do, the, the truthful line is what I like to call right. it. We're going to deviate left and right on that line. But when we listen to the narration, that's considered the gospel. Right. Just the fact. We're going to kind of weave in and out of that line because I got to tell the stories of this is what they say happened. This right. is what Bob says happened. Because listen, we're not pro, you know, in this case, Bob Lazar. Right. But we're not skeptic Bob Lazar either. It's our job to ride the middle and I'm then at the, the end middle. go, I think this is what's happening. Right. So this is going to help me decide if I'm skeptical about Bob Lazar or oh, for if sure. I believe in Bob Lazar. So that's that's my goal to get out of this. A thousand percent. Listen, there's a lot of stuff I had to cut out of the narration to give everyone an idea. When we typically do narrations, it's usually between 10 minutes and 25 minutes. Right. When I started this story. My narration was 48 minutes. 
Oh boy, this might I be 14 it, parts. I cut it from 48 minutes down to 31 minutes. All right. So the stuff that I cut out, we're going to talk about. I'm trying to remember. I got some notes on my phone, so you guys are going to see me in my phone. I gave Nick a lot of stuff in a folder, some pictures and stuff. This one's going to be Which a banger. If you don't at. know about Bob Lazar, <laughs> if you want to know anything about UFOs, this is your episode. Because this is, for me, I think when it comes to a UFO story, regardless of what it is, mm-hmm. Roswell, uh, the one, obviously, uh, Hopkinsville or Hop- Hopkinville that we talked about in Kentucky, yeah. the Kentucky one. Uh, yeah, when we talk about Shag Harbor, I think that's the Bob right. Lazar story explains all of it. Oh, really? I'm super I think it explains that then. everything. So if you recall as well, I'm scared of UFOs and aliens. You so are. This is going to be this. This is going to be Halloween part one for me. <laughs> this. Let me tell you. There's a lot of info in a very short time frame. We're going to try to navigate it the best that we can. Y'all just bear with us. If you ask me a question, Nick, and I know it's further in, if it's, Mm -hmm. if it's further in, I'm going to be like, we're going to talk about it because you're going to run into a lot of questions. Yeah. I'm already prepared for that. I always have a lot of questions. (laughs) I'm like a kid. So now, you know, the subject, are you ready to hear the opening? What I call the opening sentence. All right. The opening, let's, let's the hear opening, the humble beginnings. The humble beginning. That's the best way to put it, Nick. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do that. I'm ready. We now venture into a tale that has fascinated the public and confounded experts for decades. We pull back the veil of secrecy on a man who claimed to have touched the very fabric of inhuman technology. Bob grew up in a world full of wonder, always attracted to the mysteries of science and technology. A brilliant student, he was captivated by the infinite possibilities that the world of science opened for him. But even as a young man, he had no idea that his limitless curiosity would one day lead him down a path so extraordinary it defies belief. In his early years, Bob seemed to be on track for a conventional career in science and technology. His academic credentials were solid, and his interest in subjects like physics and engineering only intensified with time. While details according to public record were mostly impossible to prove, almost to the point to where even that is mysterious. According to Bob, he studied at two of the nation's most prestigious institutions, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the California Institute of Technology. But like much of his life, even this aspect is not without its mysteries. Lazar claims to have earned degrees in both physics and electronic technology. He recounts walking the hallowed halls of MIT and Caltech, absorbing knowledge. Yet, when we turn the pages of the academic registries at these esteemed schools, Bob Lazar's name is clearly absent. No records, no transcripts, and not even a hint of his alleged attendance. Could these institutes be part of a cover-up? Or is Bob's academic history a fabrication designed to lend credence to his extraordinary claims? Well, boy... <laughs> I got to tell you, you were leading me down a skeptical path until the last bit of it there. Because when they caught him in a lie, that is when I'm like, oh, you got me. I'm hooked again. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. half the fun of all these stories, I think, is right. There's a truth somewhere, there's a lie somewhere, 
and where we generally sit at is somewhere in the middle. Right. Now, I've got my notes over here because there's a lot. I'm going to cover a few things that was covered and a few things that wasn't covered. Obviously, one big thing that I think we definitely need to cover Uh is Bob Lazar said he was at MIT. Right. And Caltech. Uh, Also the... Okay. Yes. Yep. I've got that. Yep. So those two prestigious colleges, he said he was there. Now, for skepticism Mm -hmm. reasons, I'm going to put the negatives out there. Okay. When Lazar was pressed, he was unable to supply the names of any of the lecturers or fellow students that he was with. William Duxler was in fact located at Pierce Junior College and had never taught at Caltech, which is one of the people that he said was there. Right. Now, Friedman asserted quite obviously if one can go to MIT, one doesn't go to Pierce. Lazar was at Pierce. At the very same time, he supposedly went to MIT, which was more than 2,500 miles away. Yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No. Because they wouldn't have correspondence courses at that time, would they? I would not think so. We're talking 80s here. Right. So what was Sally Struthers selling at that time? Correspondence courses. That is true. I just want to put that out there. I'm a skeptic. That is true. But I want to put that out there because that's a fact. That is true. Yeah. There's something that I find very interesting about this, though. And here's what I'm thinking. When they press this guy, and mm-hmm. we're not going into this, and in that we are, but we're not. Right. When they pressed him, he was in his early 20s. Right. If, if all of you that's sitting there going, okay, he probably lied on this. Tell me y'all mm-hmm. haven't lied in a job interview a little bit. Right, right. Uh, They're going to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sorry to interrupt, but um, at that point, when he was pressed for that, was he still going under the alternate identity? Or was he out of that at that time? So he's always said this since day one. Right. So under both the alias and... I think uh, even now, like even if you see interviews now, like there was a Joe Rogan interview probably four or five years back. He still makes the same claims. Now, he doesn't dive as deep into them, if that makes sense. So I'm not saying that he didn't go there. I'm not saying that he went there. But what I'm saying is I wouldn't be hard pressed to believe that if pressed as a young gentleman, Right. That he didn't lie and say higher credentials than what he truly was to try to advance in life. I, I, yeah, not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Right. I I can see that. And and I'm going to have to go with that because I can, I'm not a young man in my 20s and I can clearly (laughs) remember the name of a lot of my teachers from university. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick to your view of that for now. But that does bring out some skepticism. Now, the lab part, 
The lab part, that's a different thing entirely. And the hospital not having record of him. Los Alamos, yeah. So right. he said he was with Los Alam- uh, Alamos, which is, for anyone that doesn't know, it's a national laboratory. Basically, there they have what I believe is an accelerator, a uh, particle accelerator. Um, okay. Kind of like, I think the big one's in Amsterdam now. Am I correct on that? Uh, the Are you talking about the Large Hadron I, Collider? Yeah. That actually spans a number of countries. It's that big. Yeah, but didn't it start in Amsterdam or something like that? Uh, then they build the first I'm section of that. I'm not sure. I'm not Don't sure. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. But it, it's basically similar to that. And what they were basically doing was taking a particle. They were sending it on a much smaller scale. And right. they just want to see what those kind of things opened up. Now, the reason that I bring that up and the importance of Los Alamos is eventually when we get a little deeper in this conversation, we're going to ask some questions that that's going to become very relative. Uh, okay. Um, now. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I keep dwelling on these things, but I need my information. You're fine. Has he produced any evidence that he went to these schools? Degrees? No. Nothing like that. I've never okay. seen anything that's ever proven that he's went there. He says it. Basically right. what he's saying is when crap hit the fan, which we will eventually get to also. Yeah. That he was basically erased, completely right. erased. And honestly, yeah. like if, if I, if you used to ask me right now, give me proof that you went to high school at your specific high school. I don't think right. I can present proof of that. Well, like on the fly, I couldn't present proof of going to university or anything. Like I just, I've moved a number of times. I don't keep that stuff. Right. Um, now I so could you would get go it. Back to him. Yeah. You'd go back to get it. Right. Right. Which is not an option for him. Right. Because if the government me, comes in and goes, this person didn't exist or you die. Yeah. You're going to choose that they didn't exist. Yep. Yep. Which so, is what happened coincidentally at Los Alamos. So when all of this started happening, I don't want to go too deep into it because we cover right, a little right. bit in the future, but when they went to interview him for a specific reason, they was like, this is just some whack job in the middle of nowhere saying that right. there's UFOs that exist. Let's check him out. The first place that he goes to is the schools. They can't find record of him. Mm-hmm. They say, where do you work? He says, I worked at Los Alamos National Laboratory. Right. They go there, no record of the guy. Um, the funny part is, then they start checking around and some of the things that was a publication, so not direct records or anything else, they right. find him. The way that they found the phone book mm-hmm. was they started interviewing people within the organization and someone just happened to have an old phone book. Ah, that's how they found him in the and phone. That book. man is no more. Correct. If you <laughs> was to look at a phone book that was more uh, newer in in the company, he would not have been in there ever. Right. But someone just happened to have an old phone book. And here's the thing. They didn't say, hey, we're interviewing for this specific reason. They just went and go. I think the the way it went, I believe, is they went in and they're like, hey, we're looking for like old phone books and directories. We're putting a report together and blah, blah, blah. And this person didn't know. They're like, yeah, here you go. 
Right. Now imagine who got fired after that. <laughs> yeah, well, I maybe worse than fired if this is a whole thing. Maybe he we're disappeared. Gonna, we're going to cover some of that too. Oh, okay. There's some There's some deep stuff here, folks. There's some oh, real boy. deep stuff. I'm going to need a number of pages for this cuz I'm already half filled one. Oh so. yeah, and we're <laughs> 4 minutes into a 31 minute na- uh, narration, Nick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What are the questions you got? I, I think for now I'm okay. I I've I could lean both ways on a lot of these things because I'm just oh, thinking sure. in my mind. If I left my current company and they called them up five years later, is anyone even going to remember who I am? Like from the head office? Well, I I don't know. You're about a doggone legend. What are you talking about? I don't about? know about that. But someone called like, for old Bert, they'd be like, oh, my God, Bert was so awesome. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> but I, I work for like a international organization and the person at the head office probably doesn't even know about me right now. Big enough. Like company, the people who work gotta, with me directly might. But. You gotta, and that could have been the case, right? Like they could have called this Los Alamos. They might not have even known who Bob Lazar was. It's such a big right. organization. Yeah, they just they ask for huge. a phone book. Yeah, they just ask for. Right. Think about it. It's a phone book. How many people do you have to have to have an actual phone book? Exactly. So and yeah, so I want to bring that up to be less yeah. skeptical about that, maybe. But think about it. Also, there was a report that they wrote because what Bob used to do is he used to put a rocket booster on everything. Right. Literally everything. He put a rocket booster on a bicycle. Oh, I'm surprised he didn't get horribly burned. Actually, you can open those files now. Uh, There is actually a photo. And again, if if you're not on the YouTube machine, I'm going to put on the YouTube machine. But if you're not on there on Instagram and Facebook, I'm going to put the photos. There's a picture of a bike that he built that has a rocket booster on the end of it. Oh yeah, that looks that looks pretty dangerous. Yeah, it's kind of dangerous. But that was Bob yeah. Lazar. He also put a rocket booster in a small car. I forget what the brand okay. of the car was. Very small car. I think there's a picture of that too. But I mean, just crazy stuff. Yeah, and there's the article. Now the best part was when they called. Nope, Bob Lazar never worked here. There's the newspaper article with Bob Lazar's car with a rocket on the end, and it said he's employed there. Right. <laughs> so so Seems i'm leaning with sus. they either forgot him or there could be something going on here it's intentional or it's not intentional one of the two here's the crazy part they mm-hmm. went to the hospital where he was born right. no record of him ever being born okay now that's something else entirely because they do not lose those records very casually they at do hospitals. not lose those on the fly Right. So anything about Bob Lazar period does not exist. No, nope. he was it never does born. now. He's out there everywhere. Oh, for sure. But there's a theory, which we'll be covering a little later of why right. this occurred. Okay. Okay. All right, Nick, you ready for the, a little bit more info? Uh, yeah, I need to be spoon fed this. It's a lot. It's a lot of information. <laughs> A lot of info. Here we go, baby. Imagine a life forever altered. Such was the case for Bob in the late 1980s. 
A seemingly ordinary man living in Nevada, Bob was about to find himself navigating a reality that defies imagination. Bob tells us that he was approached with a job opportunity that seemed like science fiction materialized, a position so unbelievable it would make the Manhattan Project look like child's play. Recruited to work at a highly secretive base near the already perplexing Area 51, Lazar was ushered into a world that exists on the very fringes of scientific understanding. According to Bob, he couldn't just walk in. Before that, there were checks. Lots of them. Background checks to dig deep into who Bob was. He even had to swear to keep everything a secret. The work at S4 wasn't your regular 9-to-5 job. The place is so shrouded in secrecy that even its exact location is a matter of debate. But for Bob, the secrecy was real. Very real. He felt it wrap around him like a cloak as he cleared each hurdle to enter this world. You might wonder why Bob, of all people, was chosen for such an extraordinary role. According to Bob, his past work in the scientific field caught the eyes of some very important people. And now, having sworn the oaths and passed rigorous background checks, he found himself standing at the door of what might as well have been another dimension. This answered my next question right at the end. Oh. Why Bob? That was my next one. So, again... We're going to cover why he was there in the next segment. We're going to kind of break right. down why he was there. But for anyone that does not know the story, Bob had a very special series of skills. Now, if you let's let's pretend, let's pretend. If you are the government. At Area 51, where he worked was technically in Area 51, but it's not Area 51. It, it was nearby, right? Yeah. So it's actually called, it's Papoose Lake, which is uh, Groom Lake is, is technically what it's known as, uh, or where he was at is Groom Lake. Uh, but Papoose Lake, that I believe is where the facilities, is one of the two. He's at one of the two. That's so... For anyone that doesn't know what Area 51 looks like, there's a mountain range that basically secludes most of the area. And then they've, it's all desert. It's all basically a desert. It's like a sandy, um, it's basically it's sand everywhere, right? It's in the middle of nowhere. It's a, it's yeah. a desert. What they did, and we're going to cover this again here in the near future, is what bombs story is is that hey they offered me this job based on these skills that i have now what have we talked about for fun this right. man put a rocket on a bicycle for funsy right like think about it if i go and buy for something that i do right like podcasting mm -hmm. went and got a, a yeah. newer mic I, I got a podcasting mic we we stepped it up and that's not to say that i don't own many mics right like i can reach right down here's another mic I got another right. one over there. I've got mics all over the place, but <laughs> depending on what I'm doing, right? Like if I'm doing high end audio, this is the mic for podcasting. This one's a mic. So if I'm spending a series of dollars, that has to make sense. Bob is buying rocket boosters. Right. Which probably caught some attention. Oh, for sure. And then right. they're like, where are you putting this, this rocket booster at? Right. Like if it's a rocket booster, you putting it in a plane. No, I'm putting on my bicycle. Who does right. that? 
<laughs> who does that? Bob Lazar does that. That's who yeah, it is. He, he ended up on some kind of watch list. Oh, I guarantee. And they're like, this is the man we need. Yeah. But for this, years. This might seem random, but I think uh-huh. they disappeared before he started working there. They could have. They very well could have. Yeah. You can't look up the employees of these special areas. I think they did that before and they just didn't undo it afterwards. They wouldn't have undid it anyway, based on. I don't think so. Yeah. Based on things that we will be covering, they, they couldn't have. Um, so he says, well, he didn't tell anyone, but his story is he was at area 51. They flew him into area 51, but mm-hmm. they had him at, I think it's groom Lake. I think that's where he was. Uh, Papoose Lake is either part of it or it's near him also. Cause I keep hearing them reference that also, but he's like, Hey, right. I went to this area. The buildings are spray painted the color of sand. So if you're looking directly at it, you don't see it. That makes sense. And there was a series of hangers. So he's described when crap hit the fan, he started doing these interviews. He told them all about it. They go to the government the government starts laughing and they go, we've never had anything even remotely close to there. So Bob on a map drew, this is where I go to work every single day. Cause they're like, show us where you work. They're again, trying to disprove him since the government government's like, yeah, there's nothing there. You can see satellite images. There's never been anything there. Right. They check it out. Nothing on nothing that they can ever find. There's nothing that ever proved it. So. I'd be like, take me there. Nothing there. Area 51. It's locked down, baby. Yeah. Yeah, If they're denying me though, if it's nothing there, just, you know, take, take it. Take me there. It's a government. Government does what they want, man. Yeah. They're not reasonable. <laughs> U.S. government. They don't care. All governments. Not. Now, I'm on a list. Probably so, but I know the U.S. government. Ooh, baby, <laughs> they're like, yep, nope, we don't know nothing about that. Mm-mm. Nope, yeah. we're not talking. Yeah. You're not going to talk about it either uh, no more. <laughs> right. So. It's not like they were going to say, oh, yeah, you guessed right. You win. You suck right. my battleship. You win. You know, they're going to say Dang, that. Shucks. Goddess. Goddess right. This is one. no kind of discredit at all. Like you're <laughs> I could say this is where the White House is, and you're gonna be like, not ain't. Correct. <laughs> Correct. This guy's a whack job. Yeah, yeah. And they did the same kind of thing to um Stanton T. Friedman until he proved himself right as well. But that's oh, a story yeah. for another time. Well, see, and the reporter that was breaking this, his name was right. um um George Knapp. Oh, okay. And I've heard that when name. They, yeah. Well, he was a TV reporter. Like he was around for years and they asked Bob Lazar hunted him out. Right. Reporter didn't find Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar went to him and said, for a specific reason, we're going to cover it. I need you to help me with this. Right. And he was the one that started doing the research on this. Now, that being said, George was very prestigious when it came to reporting. Like, he was very right. well known. He was part of the uh, um, Las Vegas uh, news reports is what he was. He, but he was okay. like their their guy, the guy in the field. Um, So it's very interesting that, of course, all these things was said. 
they everyone went back, but this is where the smear campaign started. Right. Because the government's like, that doesn't even exist. And if it doesn't exist, how can you say you ever worked there? Right. That's circular logic, though. You say it doesn't exist. I say it does. Right. Government always wins, though. They're like the house at Vegas. Coincidentally, we're talking about Vegas. It's the house. The house always wins. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's it's like you you can't ask them to prove it because they're just like, no. Correct. (laughs) This is secret wardened off area that you're not allowed in. Yeah. It's like arguing we're with a kid. We're not going to divulge it, but we're telling you there's nothing there. Yeah. It's like arguing with a kid. Like you can say the most logical thing and they're just like, no, it's not. Nope. I can see it right over there. No, no, you can't. Nope. You don't see anything. That doesn't anything. exist. I didn't draw on the walls. I don't know right. who did that. Yeah. Who did the ABCs on the wall? I don't know. Why yeah. would you even ask know. me for? Yeah, I can't. I, I'm not going to prove that. Do you believe me? <laughs> Why don't you believe me? Do you not love me no more? That's like, right. Yeah. U.S. That's, government, do you not love us anymore? <laughs> that's the U.S. government right there. But the the funny thing is, is when they asked him, okay, so you're a part of this organization. What field of government was, was it that you was a part of? Now, who do you think, and I'm sure you know about the, the U.S. government a little bit, Nick. If you was to guess when it comes to who would be covering this kind of research, who do you think it would be? Military. Yeah, but we got different branches, right? We got the Air Force. Oh, Air Force, sorry. That would make the most logical sense, right? Yeah. Well, they're the only ones who could get things in and out of there. No? It was the Navy. The United States Navy is who was bringing him in what? and out of that area. So, man, that doesn't make any sense. Makes zero sense. Unless you consider where it might have come from. If this was like an ocean event, that would make sense. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I could see where you're going with that. Yeah. It, it's I mean, I understand that the different, and honestly, I've got a buddy of mine that he would probably understand this significantly more. And he's probably at the end of this going to go, why didn't right. you call me before you had this podcast? <laughs> I could explain this. You should be calling uh, us he right was now. in the army. <laughs> well, he was in the army. And let me tell right. you, he's very efficient with understanding how all that works. Right. But yeah, um, actually I'm reading through my notes now. I finally found it. He claims that the said facility was adjacent to Papoose Lake, which is located south of the main Area 51 facility at Groom Lake. Okay. Okay. There we go. Yep. So basically he said when he was there, there's all these hangars, there's a couple of facilities. um, And what I was going into I was going down into the bunkers of this. So it looked like a basic building, but there was a bunkers that he was going down into. Right. So. So you might not know this. It. If mm-hmm. we were to go on Google earth right now, what mm-hmm. are we going to see over there? Nothing. You know, I've not actually looked. I'm not sure. I think okay. they still scramble the vast majority of that out. Right. There is a huge section of, again, National Park Land, um, near where I used to live, 
that's just black. Mm-hmm. All around it is scanned, and you can see it from Google Earth. But this one part is just completely blacked out. And I'm wondering if that's what it's like for Area 51, too. Well, I can tell you this much, Nick. I was amazed because I've got another topic mm-hmm. that I we've not covered covered yet. I'm still doing research on it. I've been doing this research on Bob, which I've known about Bob Lazar for years, but I've been working on this specific episode for about 35 days now, just on and off. Oh, wow. Um, Because I know when we was on episode three, Mm -hmm. so the third episode that we did, uh, which was Circleville Letters Part One, I was already researching this. I think around that time or maybe a little earlier, we had talked at length outside of a podcast about this as well. Correct. Oh, but what I was saying was another topic that I've been researching for a while. Also, Mm -hmm. I was going to do it until I found out is based out of Nova Scotia. Oh, really? I'm not going to guess what it is because I could probably guess. Very good chance that you would, but you've never mentioned it ever. Never if, once have you ever mentioned Should I it. say one word? You can. Boat? Nope. Oh? Nope. Island? Nope. Oh, okay. Maybe cold. not then. Way cold. Oh, well, I guess I'll have to wait and see. <laughs> or look up everything in my province. <laughs> Just I was surprised. When I was doing research, the vast majority of it comes out of Nova Scotia. The vast oh, majority. really weird. Like, so much of it comes out of Nova Scotia. Huh. No, and I didn't I'm even know lost. it was in Nova Scotia. I thought it was in the States. Oh, well, we're part of a lot of mysteries because we're strange folk up here. I didn't even know you guys. Ha- well, I'm not going to say it. that might be a different episode. There's something else about up there that I had no clue about until I started research. I'm like, how has Nick never mentioned these things? <laughs> I don't know it all. Maybe it, it depends. Like, I, I know there's- a lot of things, but there's literally tens of thousands of stories of strange occurrences here. There really is. And I, oh, yeah. <laughs> this one is the, this episode, I can't wait to do it because I'm going to pick your brain to see if you know about it or if oh, you've yeah. experienced it. Oh, really? Interesting. It could be something you have experienced, Nick. Interesting. Maybe so. Mm-hmm. I'm super excited. But the reason I say that is that I could see why there's a ton of stuff hidden in your area. Like it totally makes sense. There's so much stuff that goes on there. It's crazy. But area 51, I know that they was blurring out a lot of those images years ago. I've not been there recently. We'll have to check it out after. For sure. You ready to dive on a little further, Nick? I sure am. Let's bring it on. Let's go. On his first day, he wasn't led to a cozy office with a view. No, Bob found himself descending into the bowels of the facility where the real work, the unimaginable work, was set to begin. Picture endless hallways, veiled rooms, and a sense of urgency in the air that was palpable. Bob's task was laid out to him clearly. His mission was so far removed from ordinary science that it bordered on the realm of science fiction. He was to reverse-engineer technology that was, quite literally, not of this world. Imagine being handed a machine and being told it's from another planet. How would you even begin to understand it, let alone take it apart and figure out how it works? According to Bob, his initial reaction was one of disbelief combined with an academic's natural curiosity. The hardware, as it was vaguely termed, looked alien, felt alien, and by all accounts was alien. 
As he immersed himself in the work, he began to realize the monumental nature of his task. Each day was a new puzzle, a mystery wrapped in layers of even more bewildering questions. Days turned into weeks, and weeks into months. The facility became a second home to Bob, or perhaps a parallel universe of sorts. Here, he delved into technology that defied our known laws of physics. Things like gravity manipulation and propulsion techniques that have never been seen on Earth before. As time went on, the weight of the secrets he carried became heavier. But Bob pressed on, fueled by a ceaseless desire to unlock the mysteries that had been entrusted to him. It was as if he had been handed the keys to the universe, but with no instruction manual. That's a lot. That's a lot of info. That is a lot. So I can sort of see why they brought him in. Because he, he was, was a propulsion guy. Right. And he was obsessed with it. This is the kind of guy you want. Someone who does it at the lab, goes home, does right. it on his free time. Um, and buying all that material probably ended him up on a bunch of lists as well. So Correct. All right, so that makes a lot of sense. Is it too soon to ask how long he was there? No, so he was there. So <laughs> are we talking about what does he say? Or because even he says that he wasn't like going there working every single day. So this wasn't right. he was going in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays, off Saturday, Sunday. Okay. Basically, they would call him one day and be like, uh, we need you today. Okay. He would go in, he would work. And then so like contract work, then I'm thinking somewhat. Yeah. Now, the big difference was when he got there, he may not have been able to leave for a few days. Right, right. And I've heard so that kind of thing before from other guys. Oh, for sure. And typically when we're talking top secret uh, clearance stuff with mm -hmm. any kind of national security, they're basically going to tell you, we own you. So when you right. say you're here, when we say you're here, you're here and you're not leaving until we tell you you're done. Right. But when he first started there, very limited information. His days were relatively short. And the way that he tells the story is he gets there. He doesn't truly understand what his job is. Right. They've been very vague with it. Day one, they take him down into the bowels of the facility. Mm -hmm. They put books in front of him and they say, read this. Right. Were these special so, books or is this just? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Now this is after they cleared him. So at this point right. they've already cleared him. They've done all these background checks. According to him, this is where right. speculation comes into play. So yeah. I can't, I can't, as much as I would love to say this happened, I there's no right. proof of this. This is one man's story. Right. They set the manuals in front of him. Then they come to him at the end of it. And according to him, they put guns to his head and say, if you ever repeat any of this, we think you understand what's going to happen. If I'm to believe any of the story, I would have to believe that. So they're I mean, probably it still sound false. No, they're probably testing him at this point. They're giving sure. him manuals and maybe see when he leaves, if he tells anyone. 
Oh, for sure. And this was something that he brought up because a lot of times people say what was in the manuals and he goes, it doesn't right. really matter what's in the manuals. And they, a lot of people will question him, well, why did you read it? And he goes, honestly, I didn't know what the manuals was all about. It was one of, in his mind, it was one of four things. Right. This is not in the future. So it's cool that we cover this. Yeah. His thought number one was if I have to read all these manuals, maybe they're throwing some stuff in there to see what I can remember after I've read the manuals and what I can retain. Right. Because there was information in there. That's not just reading at a, you know, fifth grade level. Yeah. This is advanced stuff. Yeah. This might be a comprehension test. Oh yeah. So he's like, maybe they're just trying to see how much I can retain. That was his first thought. Right. Second thought was, uh, above and beyond the retention was comprehension. Right. We're throwing all this information. Are you able to decipher the information that you would not know anything about? Right. And how can you apply it? Okay. That's number two. Right. Number three was he wanted to see, or they wanted to see if they provide him with the information. And then later the information got leaked. This, His information, this is they can go about. back. Maybe each person's information is different. And when they hear a keyword, they go, that was only in Bob Lazar's. He's our guy. That's right. And that's exactly, if I were one of these shady government guys, that's exactly what I'd do. Exactly. For sure. The um, fourth thought process for him okay. was they hand him all of the manuals. Mm-hmm. And then they've already done recognition, comprehension. They've done obviously the the fake story, but the fourth right. one is to see is there some part of his life that he can look at the information and go, because of this part of my life, I know that this is true or that is true. So right. his thought process is they brought him in as a one time gig mm-hmm. to try to pinpoint one thing, yeah, and then they was going to be done with him, right? But he passed, I guess. I mean, they, no one knows, no one knows what the manuals were for. It could still be for any of those four reasons. So he won't say what was in them at all. He does. Does Okay. Okay. But he doesn't go into deep. Like his theory is now when people interview him on him, he goes, it doesn't like, it doesn't truly matter. Even if I told you everything this year, it could all be lies. I don't know. Yeah. And and I'm cool with that. What I'm trying to get at. So this is Mm -hmm. all fantastical knowledge. Oh, yeah. Like, this isn't just science textbooks or manuals. This is stuff that you read this and you're like, this is completely out of my realm of experience. I know the the terms you're using, but. The way that he explained it, and this is kind of where I went with the the narration. Right. It's basically they handed him an owner's manual Mm -hmm. of something he's never seen before or what they. Right. Their hypothesis was. And said, explain it to us. So everything he looked at, he had never experienced before. Okay. Okay. And the interesting thing about Bob Lazar is he didn't even care about three quarters of it. Right. You know what he cared about? What? The jet propulsion stuff. Yeah. So he was real focused on this. Hyper focused. Like I would almost put him borderline autistic. Right. You know how sometimes autistic people can focus and zoom their brain into That's one right. thing? Hyperfixation with a single topic. Yeah. That is Bob Lazar. Every interview I've ever seen with this man, mm-hmm. 
hyper-focused on the technology. When right. people ask about the other nuanced stuff, mm-hmm. he almost seems annoyed because he's like, you're not getting the big picture. Yeah, you're not focused on what matters. It's right. Know, right. Okay. All right. And I think that's specifically why they probably kept him. This is probably what they're looking for. If, if anything, if anything, my thought process at this stage, now I'm not saying that I won't change this theory later, but at this stage in my research, what I thought was they brought this guy in because he's a propulsion guy. Right. If they handed him this alien, whatever. Now you got to understand he hasn't seen crafts at this point. They've right. literally just handed the man. Yeah. Just They're just manuals. trying to pick his brain. Okay. Uh, I heard someone say the same equivalent. It's like throwing a cell phone into an orangutan cage and seeing if they figure out how to open apps. Right. Eventually, an a- ape's going to figure out how to get the phone to go to an app and then play with right. the app. Yeah. Their theory is we have all these scientists that have all these huge backgrounds. This guy who's been throwing rockets, he's not a scientist. He he has a science background. Right. But he's not, that's not his field of expertise. Yeah. He's a rocket guy. Let's throw him this information. Just see what he does with it. Another benefit of that is if he's hyper fixated on the pul- on the propulsion oh, yeah. part, I know who knows what other stuff he saw and just filed it away as unimportant. Like there could oh, be yeah. medical documents in there, you know, detailing right. alien bodies. And he's just like, that's nothing to do with oh, rockets at all. We're going to cover some of that stuff in this, Nick. Okay. He talks about it, but he doesn't care he, about it. He doesn't it. care. He told someone in an interview, I forget what, I I don't think it was Rogan. I think it was an older interview. And he's sitting there talking about this technology. Yeah. And the guy's like, yeah, well, let's talk about, and I can't fill it in because it's coming up, but let's right, talk right, about right. blah. And he's like, can we just go back to the propulsion? The guy's like, yeah. why is it every time we bring up this topic that you don't ever want to talk about? It almost makes you look shady. And he goes, shady about something that I don't even know is real. Let's talk right. about the stuff that we know is real. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is his, it would be like asking Neil deGrasse Tyson what his thoughts are on, um, you know, special gastronomy and stuff like that. How, what's the best way to cook an egg? Like you'd just be like, why are you asking me this? Like, this is like not- a great example. They've asked him questions like that before. If you look at Neil right. deGrasse Tyson, he gets yeah. annoyed with those questions too. Cause he's like, who cares? Like it's irrelevant. It doesn't yeah. even matter. Yeah, who cares what I think about this topic? I'm an expert Correct. in this field. Ask me questions about this field. And that's literally Bob Lazar. And right. all of this, this is Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar Listen, in my field of expertise, what I do for a living, when it comes down to what I specialize in, I have to read people for a living. That's my job. When I look at Bob Lazar as a person, I go, I know this person. Like, I totally understand what he's doing and why he's doing it. Mm -hmm. Now, is there an ulterior motive behind it? Maybe that's why when I do the research, my narrative is probably weird because in the beginning I'm trying to prove it's fake. (laughs) Right. Like that's my goal as someone who loves these stories. My first initial thought is, can I shoot this down? Because if I can shoot it down and I believe probably more than like even Nick, 
Nick's for sure going to shoot it down. Right. My part of my job is to be suspicious. So I'm coming at it. Like I wish it was real, but nine times out of 10, it's probably not. I had a conversation with someone the other day. I said, you and I are probably the best balance for a podcast like this Mm. because our personalities are so significantly different. Right. I mean, the hypothesis for the New Jersey devil last week, Mm -hmm. if it was me by myself or you by yourself, I don't think we would have came to that hypothesis. No, we definitely wouldn't. Definitely not. Definitely not. Because of us talking about it back and forth. Oh, yeah. Because we talked about it back and forth. We came up to that last hypothesis. I wish we would have caught that on camera, man. I wish we would have figured that out. But it's like... I thought about it after them. Like, there's no way I would have came to that thought process had Nick not brought up X, yeah. Y, and Z. I definitely didn't. And that was my story. I never connected it to that. Now, I know a lot about that uh, missing 411, but I never connected right. that to this until you said something that triggered that. It's just amazing. That's the, this is why people with different backgrounds have to have conversations. You can't be in an echo chamber of just people that you know, because you never Mm -hmm. learn anything outside of what you see. That's right. That's right. And that happens to a lot of, a lot of people on the internet end up in these um, echo chambers, like you said, because the algorithm on Facebook is the worst example of this and Twitter and stuff. It shows you more of what you like. And what you like is generally what you believe until it's filtered everything out. Old Twitter. Mm -hmm. They've changed that. Oh, have they? Okay. Yep. Elon Musk said that he was tired of people just arguing the same valid points amongst each other. Right. So now part of the artificial intelligence that he brought in also Mm -hmm. puts things that he knows you're going to dislike in your timeline. Oh, okay. And people well, have gotten ticked uh, off on both sides because they're like, I don't want to hear this idiot. Right. And Elon Musk just finds it funny. I, I think that you should see all sides of it. Me too. Like you guys can tell me all day long, Bert's an idiot and here's why. I'll listen. I'll listen. If you got something valid at the end, I'm like, got me there. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like they are probably right. Maybe I'm wrong on this. But listen, we don't grow and we don't move to new things if we don't have those conversations. Right. Now, they don't have to come at at people like attacking them. But yeah, no, um, you should never do that. You've always, the the one thing I love about science is that you always have to be open to having your mind changed. What we believe to be fact today might not be tomorrow. And we always got to consume the new evidence, consume the new tests. And change what our opinion is on things. And that's how people should be in real life. Agreed. Mm-hmm. I feel like science doesn't do enough of that though. And we talk about that a lot, even in these cases. It's right. like as a believer, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when we talk about ghosts and stuff, the first thing they go is we'll prove it. And then we bring things like EMF detectors or we bring, right. you know, audio uh, when it comes to EVPs and stuff like that. And they go, mm-hmm. I was the wind or it was this or it was that. Owls. It, yeah. It, it's a freaking <laughs> owl. Exactly. Um, unfortunately I couldn't tie an owl to the Bob Lazar story. I really wanted to, but I, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't, but you know, that's the thing is it's almost like we have to, in my opinion, 
we've always had to be the one to prove right. that ghosts exist because science say that they can't. You're dead. Yeah. You're gone. There's nothing residual. I, I think the main problem that people run into is when you get scientists showing up at these events, um, mm-hmm. there's no funding for that. So these are right. guys that are generally, and I'm speaking generalizations here, but they're they're not the cream of the crop, the ones trying to cure right. cancer. Like these are a lot of times hobbyists. Um, and that's not to say they haven't got great points because this is something that people say all the time. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. So, Agreed. but dismissing things offhand, not right. Oh yeah. You have to open it up. You have to see all sides to have any yeah. kind of concept or idea of what you got going on. If you don't have all the sides, good luck. Yeah, for sure. We should always consider everything. Correct. Um, and both sides well, get that Nick- wrong. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> the next part's going to dive into what he was working with. Okay. Uh, this is what you I need to hear? know. Yeah. Yes. This me, is the part this. I guarantee everyone has been looking forward to. All right. Before we proceed down the winding path of Bob's moral and ethical dilemmas, let's take a moment to focus on the work, the unbelievable task that was laid before him. According to Bob, he wasn't just poking around in a government storage closet full of dusty files and outdated equipment. No, what he claims to have encountered was technology so advanced it defied conventional understanding. Bob speaks of nine saucer-like crafts. Yes, you heard it right, nine. Not one or two, but nine distinct crafts, each a silent testament to technology so advanced that it pushes the boundaries of human imagination. According to Bob, upon entering the heavily guarded hangars at S-4, his eyes met with a collection of saucer-like crafts. Each one, in his words, seemed to come from a different mold, as if they were prototypes or models of different eras or, dare we say, different civilizations. He describes one as being like what popular culture would call a flying saucer, complete with a central dome. But others were unique elongated forms, discs with jagged edges, a craft that seemed to shimmer as if trying to blend with its surroundings. It was a gallery of otherworldly design, each craft and artwork of incomprehensible genius. What gripped Bob most were the interiors. Stripped of seats, switches, or any familiar mechanisms, these crafts presented an unsettling simplicity. It's as if the crafts themselves were singular units, empty of assembled parts, machined from a material unknown to Earth. Each craft, it seemed, had its own distinct propulsion system. While some appeared to manipulate gravitational fields, others were just mysterious, defying classification under Earth's known laws of physics. Bob was particularly focused on what he identified as a reactor, an orb that exuded a spectrum of colors, pulsating as if alive, generating a field that defied gravity. There's a lot there. I barely got done writing. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to chop these up, Nick, because I know it's a lot of info, especially on this. I knew that. Well, by necessity, it has to be. Like, for this to be any kind of story at all. We need these details. So the things that I'll go through the things that struck me as really interesting or bizarre. So the interiors okay. were surprisingly simple. Mm-hmm. So no switches, no, I didn't think they said even seats or anything, right? Or were they so stripped out? It depended on the aircraft. Right. Or the spacecraft, I guess you should say. There is a model 
So there was nine crafts. Now, to understand how this worked, he didn't work on all nine crafts. Right. He worked on one craft. Right. Now, he saw the other crafts. The way he explains it is on the first day that he was like an employee employee, not a guy they brought in to read these manuals and yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. Right. They brought him on on a more full-time basis. So they take him around back and they put him basically through the hangers, not going through the front doors, through the hangers, through the back doors. When they're taking him through those back hangers, the, so the way the hangers were, they were all back to back to back to back to back. So right. if you're thinking of a hanger, the sides touched each other. Okay. okay. When they're walking him through, all the hanger doors are open. Oh, they're just so, open. Yeah. So every okay. single hanger, there was a specific UFO in that hanger is what he states. Right. So the way he explained it is each one was like a different model. Yeah. Different civilization. I think it said. Or potentially even the thought process like a, like a whole different civilization. He doesn't right. know. Right. He's just yeah. speculating. He even in one interview used the analysis of it could be anything from, you know, like going to the Toyota line and buying a, you know, a midsize car like a Camry or going mm-hmm. and buying a minivan. Right. So I definitely understand his thought process on that, but he said it could also be something as, as much as like different civilizations of alien aircraft. Uh, well, the different pro- pro- propulsions makes me think, yeah, it's, it's likely that it could be that. And it very well could be. Now, something that I found interesting, we're going to cover. So don't let me forget it. Remind me of propulsion. Okay. Gravity propulsion. Remind me of that. Right. Um, so he's there. They He assumes that he they ran him by the aircrafts. Right. So he could see bigger picture. Okay. Now he says, as he was walking through the hangars, he reached out and he touched the UFO and then put right. his hand back. Now he had not interacted, touched or anything. Right. Up to this point. He said the guards that was behind him shoved him into the building and told him don't ever touch anything again unless he's told to. Right. So he goes in and long story short, obviously after he's, he's been in there, they bring him in and they go, we want you to specialize on this one propulsion system. This is what we want you to try to concentrate on. Now, there's probably a question that you're going to ask. I'm probably going to answer that now. It's not okay. the narrative, so it's fine. Why are they bringing Bob in? Obviously, we explained it based on his technology, but right. they didn't have a propulsion guy before. Yeah. They had a propulsion guy before. Okay. In the midst of trying to understand this propulsion system, he believed, based on stories that he heard from his new friend that was there. Yeah. They were trying to cut cut into it with a plasma cutter, he believes. The man was instantly killed. Ooh. Instantly. That is serious. That makes me less want to work on this project if I was him. Like Bob said, I'm not cutting into anything with a plasma cutter. Can guarantee. But the way these aircraft, his specific aircraft, he talks the most about. There's two that he talks about. One that's a sport model. Is what he calls it. Sport model. Okay. 
and one that he calls just the conventional aircraft. Now you ask the questions, was there no seats in his, right. his had seats. Okay. The sports model, as he refers to it, did not have seats. Now were they taken out or they just never had them? He doesn't know. Okay. And everyone says, well, did you ever ask questions? And he laughs every single time he goes, you don't ask questions. The government doesn't tell you what the other person's working on. Right. They only tell you what you work on. You answer those questions and you talk amongst yourselves. Very compartmentalized. I've heard that before, even in regular government business. That's how that works. Correct. So what he said was, which is what I found very interesting, and we're going to come back around to that propulsion thing. I have not forgotten. When he was finally allowed to reach in and then pull himself up on the aircraft or the the, the spacecraft, and then right. he said he tucked himself in to look into the propulsion systems. Right. He said each of the sections in the UFO, there's multiple floors. Okay. To the UFOs. So this is big. Yeah. It's not just one small section. Right. But he said that it was made for something that was about three to four foot tall. Oh, really? Okay. There were seats in his model and that was it. There was basically like these, these things that you would put your hands on. Right. That would work the propulsion systems. Okay. No wires, no lighting. There was no switches, no screens. Right. There was nothing. Well, see that opens a lot of other questions because when you're going through space, you can't just drive like a car. You've got to have some pretty serious navigation. So where's the feedback for that coming from? So there's some hypotheses that we're going to come into later. Okay. I don't want to bridge quite that gap just yet because there's some information that will come in handy. Okay. Um, we're probably like three segments, two or three segments from that. So don't forget that question. All right. I've Um, got it. An interesting thing that he did mention though, when he was talking about these spacecrafts, someone asked him in an interview, they said, and I can't remember what interview it is. I've seen so many. They said, so you're telling me there's this spacecraft. What was it made out of? And he goes, I don't know. Right. Something that kills you if you, if you touch the plasma cutter. Well, that specific. So the propulsion system is what killed him. When oh, they cut okay. into the propulsion. So the rest of the UFO, he said one of the UFOs, when he walked up to it and it, when he walked past it, he saw a gouge in the side that looked like something had hit it and destroyed right. it. Okay. But just a section, like not the entire thing was destroyed, just a small section. Right. Now he said whether it was found like that, mm-hmm. whether we shot it down. Whatever it was, that was the way that aircraft was. He said it could have right. been completely intact, and we, trying to figure out how things work, cut into it. He said, right, I don't know. right, right. Yeah, they're not going to give him that kind of background information. Yeah. He said when he was inside the spacecraft, though, because at one point they let him in. Right. Someone, they figured out, somebody figured out that when they did a series of things, the almost like the, what would you call it? Not a doorway, but like an archway in the space. It would turn opaque. Okay. And you could see through it like a portal. Interesting. Yeah. So 
<laughs> this is this is just a feeling I've got about it. It's not a particular question, but imagine the kind of backbone you've got to have to go into this thing with four foot ceilings that could as far as you know it could seal itself at any time they can't cut you out you're in there for good there's no controls for you to try to get out like that's what i'd be thinking and i crawled up in there especially the four foot ceilings i have an interesting hypothesis on on all of this okay the two really exactly where you're going oh, okay you can keep going though. It's interesting. Oh no, no, no. It's okay. You can tell me. Or is it too early? It's too early. I can't give it oh, I can't quite there. give it to you yet. Tell That's me what, what you, you keep think. Saying, too early. Mm-hmm. Well, I I sort of this is not what you're thinking, but I was thinking that one of two things, it's either gotta have some kind of psychic control. It's gotta have uh you you must have seen Interstellar, right? Mm-hmm. Yep where they could manipulate gravity almost like controls. So that's one other thing I was thinking. Um, or the other one, it could be running off of like Siri or Alexa. You just tell so it what you So something want. <laughs> that was interesting that he said, and it's not in the narrative. Right. When he was there, mm-hmm. other countries was coming there. <laughs> To research the same UFOs. Right. He said on one specific time frame. So he went to work one day. He was off for a series of days and he came back. He said that one of the groups of people made a huge discovery. Oh, really? Absolutely. Absolutely huge. And they they don't tell each other, so they don't talk. But the way that he knew that they made a huge discovery. They had a series of Russian researchers that was there. Mm-hmm. The moment they discovered it, they kicked them out. They didn't oh, want really? them to be there. Yeah. But we now, have no part, idea what it was. He has no clue. Oh, okay. He honestly has no clue. He said that he wished he knew because it was such a He said it had to be huge because one day, all the Russians are in there providing their thought processes. Next day, they're gone. Right. There was no, hey, take a couple of days, get your stuff, it's get your stuff out and go now. And that's super suspicious. That almost makes me think that they learned how to operate it in its entirety or were on the way to doing it. Well, the interesting thing that he brought up, mm-hmm. and this is where I was going to, when we talk about the propulsion, he talks about anti-gravity propulsion systems. Right. Um, I've actually got it here in my notes. Hold on. Let me jump over to my notes. My doggone notes has all the good stuff. (laughs) When we talk about Bob Lazar and this anti-gravity, it's very interesting what he goes through and his hypothesis, because again, he doesn't know. Right. But the interesting thing is he had a couple of concepts that he thinks makes sense. Okay. Well, that's so good he because talk- he's just been bringing us questions. I oh, want for sure, yeah. answers. Yeah. Well, see, and they brought it to him because they wanted him to reverse engineer it. That was his right. goal. But they already had certain keys in place. So 
when he talks about this anti-gravity, his hypothesis is mm-hmm. that you've got a space shuttle or a spaceship. I got to stop saying shuttle spaceship. Right. And the way that it works is it creates its own gravity field. Okay. Now, what makes it interesting is as science, the scientific community has always said that the way that gravity works is its mass, right? They talk about right. mass. More mass you have, more gravity you have. More attraction. That is gravity. Yep. Bob Lazar in 1989 or 1990 stated, mm-hmm. the gravity was not as we saw it. We understand it as mass, but the right. gravity based on that technology was based on waves. Okay. And the way he explained it is, it's like a surfer. Mm-hmm. You go out and you ride the waves, right? Right. What these anti-gravity propulsion systems were doing is it was creating gravity, which around the ship was causing almost like a force field within reason. Okay. So what it would do is the spaceship would sit, and of course you guys won't be able to see this, but for right. those of you listening, I'll try to explain it. It's like, think about a car. Let's do that. Yep. Cars got four wheels, four wheels sit on the ground. To move it forward, we just point the nose towards where we go and we turn. The way he explained it is these space shuttles to go to where they're going would flip on its side. The underbelly of the spaceship would, would go point the direction that it was supposed to be. It would create gravity that would then take it between three dimensions of all these dimensions we say there are. Right. And it locks onto the destination at this slightly faster than the speed of light. So there's no force. There's no restrictions. Now where this comes into play in conversations we've had before. Oh my God. They just scared me. Something popped up on my computer. That was the (laughs) scariest thing that's happened to me so far. (laughs) Um, But the way that we talked about shag Harbor, remember? Right. Yeah. We said the UFO went into what the water. Right. Right. We said, how could it be in the water? If a, if the spacecraft is creating its own gravity, is creating its own force field, right? It doesn't matter what plane it is because dimensionally, it's mm-hmm. locking itself within multiple dimensions. Right. So it can be anywhere. It can literally be anywhere. Right. But the fact that it's spinning itself and then locking with the underbelly and flying there. Yeah. So what makes this interesting, the whole reason I told you the story, in 2016, Mm -hmm. science determined by looking at two black holes, gravity was not as we saw it as a mass, but how do you think they determined it was created? It's got to be waves then, huh? In waves. The first time the scientific community ever stated that gravity was thanks to these two black holes that we was watching was waves and not mass as we had predicted before. Bob Lazar Mm. said this in 1989 or 1990. Okay. And and just to be skeptical, that's recorded, right? Yes. That he said it at that time. Okay. Correct. Correct. Yeah. There's actually a, uh, I think it's in that documentary. 
it's in a documentary that someone, I can't, I'm sorry. I can't remember the guy that created the documentary. Yeah. It's called like Bob Lazar area 51 and unidentified flying objects or something like that. But okay, it's interesting because he said, and the reason that it's so well documented is the scientific right. community made fun of him. Right. Well, I guess they That's must why have felt documented. silly after that. <laughs> Oh, for, uh, but think about it. This is 1989. 2016 is when right. we truly determined that that was correct. And they didn't even come out with it. They're like brand new discovery, blah, 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 blah. And then everyone that followed Bob Lazar said, wait a second, isn't that what Bob said? Hmm. And then people I, I'm go back. Curious. And, mm-hmm. uh, we're not going to know this, but I'm curious how he determined that. Uh, it was in part of the manuals that we were talking about. Oh, okay. Okay. So. They had already known somewhat how some of this worked based on things that they have acknowledged. Now, another thing that's interesting is when we talk about the UFO almost going on its side and pointing its underbelly towards stuff, the new UFO footages that if you look at Mm -hmm. like the Tic Tacs and all that stuff, it does the same thing. Oh, really? Now, another thing, if you look at it, it usually looks like it's skipping. Right. So when you're looking, so it's like skip, wave, skip, skip, or? skip, skip. What they're explaining is that's the gravity wave and it's moving between the dimensions. Okay. So it's not going in a straight line. It's technically riding that, that gravital wave. Interesting. Interesting. I don't know that that's a word. I may have created that word. Gravital. Gravital but- wave. Well, I'm not going <laughs> to doubt you this time. Listen, I, I don't know. I'm, yeah. <laughs> that sounds a little sus, even to me. But yeah, oh, yeah. that didn't work out for me last time, though. So I'm not I'm gonna <laughs> with you taking no chances, boys. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, so, I mean, we're talking 1989 or 1990 to 2016, and they determined they're not saying Bob was right, right? But they're saying more than likely gravity is not based on mass. Mass is a thing, so right. Like it's if you fa- look at it's got to be a factor because we can sort of prove oh, for sure. that. You know, we science has basically said there's something to it, but they don't understand right. exactly what it is. But they know right. it's a wave, not necessarily mass. Because what they're saying is yeah. the way that we came up with all of this, obviously Newton, mm-hmm. right? Right. But when we determined when we got to the moon, moon is one sixteenth of the Earth. Right. But it has like one sixth of the Earth's gravity. Hmm. So what they're saying is, is, well, again, the earth is versus the moon significantly bigger. That's how gravity works. And we can somewhat create fake gravity within reason. Right. um, When we create a lot of mass, but it takes significant amounts for the gravity field to get into that point. And we can somewhat do that by accelerating that mass. It creates somewhat of like a force. Right. But when we started studying these two black holes that were close to each other, they said, yeah, gravity is not what we think it is. Okay. That's been since 2016. That's a pretty significant breakthrough for Bob. I put one point in Bob's category just based on that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. And with it pointing in different directions, like out in space, up, down, left, right is all meaningless, really. It's irrelevant. Yeah. The way that he explained it is... There's three propulsion systems. There's two that's underneath and one that's above. Right. And the way he explains it, the top of the aircraft almost has what he would consider a computer. They're equivalent to a computer or they're equivalent as a navigation. 
Right. And he's not sure. And the reason that he comes up with that is there's a series of black, he calls them porthole looking things. Okay. And there's no I can reason see for that them to on be the there. picture. Yeah. So, and for anyone right. that doesn't know, I created based on a diagram of what Bob Lazar drew a picture of when he, when they first interviewed him and I'll put the picture of the diagram in there. I had one of our AI detection systems create a picture of what that diagram would have been. And you can see these black, almost like windows or portholes at the top of the spaceship. Yeah. But, but probably not windows because of the other part you mentioned where things can. Correct. He said, yeah, those are always there. He says those right. never go away. On all the models? Uh, just on the specific one he worked on. He wasn't able to get oh, okay. super close to most of them. He said when right. he saw them, they were typically from a distance. Oh, okay. And you got to okay. understand these things are super tall. Think about it. If you have one UFO and it's three floors, even right. if it's like five foot, that's still 15 foot. And they're already yeah. hovering. Yeah. Yeah. These things would be massive. I mean, all the sightings you see, people are seeing them from quite a distance and they'd have to be massive to be seen at all. Oh, for sure. I would assume yeah. because you, you think of like a commercial aircraft, you can just barely see them up in the sky sometimes and they are huge. Right. So these would have to be massive. Correct. So, so far one point for Bob Lazar, in my personal opinion. Right. Yeah. I, man, if he predicted that, that's that's man. That's like ten points to me. Because what is it? I got to go look say? at the science after, though. But think about it. What is it we always say? There has to be substantial proof if there's no way for somebody to know something. In this case, right. we're talking about a scientific hypothesis that hypothesis that had never came up. Right. He was just looking at propulsion. He was the first guy. Yeah. And the way that he says it gets up to, uh, bef- you know, higher than the speed of light. One of the gravity creating anti-gravity is pulling towards where they're going. Another one's okay. pushing away and another one's kind of guiding the direction. Okay. That, that makes sense in my, in my not so scientific mind, I guess. I, see, I don't know the science behind this, but. Another interesting thing, and we've talked about this before, is how does your body not get completely scrambled up inside this thing at those kind of speeds? He said that there's some sort of a, almost like a protectant on the inside that you do not sense any movement at all. I think that'd be very easy to do if you could control gravity the way that they do. Like you, you could make it no motion whatsoever, I'm sure. Correct. He said that there's no wiring though. There's no panels. There's the only thing there is, is in one of the seats is a thing to where you can move around some of the, the gravity propulsion things. And the way he explained those anti-gravity propulsions, he said it looked like a trash can with a pipe on top of it attached to the ship. Oh, but it's inside of the ship. So you don't (laughs) see it on the outside. It's on the inside. So yeah. it's creating the gravity on the inside of the ship that then surrounds the ship. In a in a trash can. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, in a trash can, exactly. Me- it's meanwhile, it's just solved. <laughs> meanwhile, that was 
just put in there by a maintenance man. And, <laughs> and he just forgot to take it out of there. He was like, sweet. Totally forgot to take it out. <laughs> you ready to move on to the next spot, Nick, or you got some yeah. questions? No, let's hit the next one. I've, well, I'm gathering so many questions, but he, well, he mostly stuff, doesn't have answers for me. Good stuff's about to come, Nick. All right, let's hit it. But where did these otherworldly crafts come from? How did they come into the possession of the U.S. government? Bob gives us tantalizing clues. One craft, he reveals, was discovered during an archaeological dig. A team of scientists and excavators were unearthing relics of a long-gone civilization when they stumbled upon something that belonged not in the past, but perhaps in the future. An object so advanced, it defied explanation. Bob doesn't tell us where this dig took place or who was responsible for it. The details remain clouded in secrecy, but the implications are staggering. As for the remaining eight crafts, Bob is less forthcoming. But let's ponder for a moment. Could they be the remnants of crashed unidentified flying objects, secretly salvaged by government agents in operations we can barely imagine? Or were they gifts, perhaps, left for us to find by visitors from another world? Bob leaves these questions unanswered, adding more layers to a mystery that continues to baffle and intrigue us. So imagine this, Nick. Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm going to use... There's no verifiable proof to what I'm about to speak. We know this. This is hearsay, a lot of this. Let's say you're in Egypt, right? Right. And you're like... I'm like, hey, Nick, guess what? Listen, we're, we're about to uncover this vase that we found from the Egyptian dynasty. And then someone goes, uh, Bert? And I go, I'm talking to Nick. Hold on. We're talking about this vase. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, I don't go, be no. rude. Like, Bert, no, sir, you got to tell Nick to stick. Come, Bert, come here. And I go over <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm talking to Nick. And they're like, what is this? And I'm like, oh, my God, it's like Flight of the Navigator up in this mug. Could you I imagine? Remember that. <laughs> Could you imagine? They just find, they're sitting there with their little brushes and I yeah. can almost imagine, again, pure speculations. They like brushing. It goes. They, they clearly weren't looking for that. No, they wasn't looking for it at all. They just found it at an archaeological dig. And he doesn't say where. But how crazy would that be? That spooks me out. That scares the living <laughs> But Jesus said to me, and it's thinking like that these things creating, could be anywhere. Oh, yeah. But here's the thing. It's like you could create any kind of story. If you're Bob Lazar, you could create right. any kind of story. Listen, this came from X, Y, and Z. They came down. They crashed. That's how we got it. He's like, right. nah, in this story, we literally was on an archaeological dig, found this aircraft. Now, Everyone's asking him, well, tell us more. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. That spaceship was this one. And this is what it did. And they're like, no, like we, we want to know this. We want to know this. Bob could have cared less, Yeah, but because he did it so nonchalantly, it's like of all the crazy stories, that's not the one I think I would have told if I'm him. Right. I'll tell you one thing about Bob. If you ever hear this, I think you're super interesting, but I would slap the life out of you. You, you sound super infuriating. <laughs> it's like, it's I don't like, want to talk about that. Questions. 
I need to know things and he don't want to talk about it. Well, in the next section we're going to go over, Nick, he drops an absolute right. bombshell. Uh, he, he's sort of bombshell, leading us along Nick. breadcrumbs. And people get super ticked off that he doesn't talk more about that next uh, section. And on top of it, it's not the first time we've heard that section. Right. Okay. So, uh, but it was very interesting. He's like, yeah, there's this architectural dig. We found the space shell and everyone was like, you found it in an archeological dig. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we found it anyway. There. They were, yeah. It's like, what? Are you serious? That's this an important your, part of the story. That's the best part of the story so right. far. This is Stargate. Like, because then it, for me, it opens up, which we'll never have answers to. It's like, right. was there an advanced civilization? Because of time, the earth has changed and it's buried. Maybe there's an entire civilization underneath the mm-hmm. ground there. Right. Right. Like the first thing I think of is, let's say, God, hopefully this never happens. We go through nuclear fallout. Right. It destroys the entire earth, but some people go into caves. They survive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 500 years from now. Things that's here, cars, houses are going to be destroyed. Right. Some cars could be buried below all this stuff. That's right. Civilizations thousands of years from now might be with their little brush and going, what is yeah, what is it's this? It's a shivy. What's a shivy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, here, here's another case. fact. They theorize that. So a show I watched on another on another podcast, or actually listened to, I guess, um, was saying, was there civilizations on Earth before ours? And here's the wildest thing. The more advanced a civilization is, or the more advanced the technology is, the less chances you have of detecting it if you don't accidentally dig it up. I mean, you don't like, you're not going to find like on a UFO, you're not going to find carbon and soot and stuff from the exhaust. That's true. You're not going to probably find any outward radiation necessarily. That metal, we don't know what it is. Maybe it's not magnetic. Maybe we can't detect it with a metal detector. Like, we don't know the properties. Well, yeah. And even, like, the only thing that he's mentioned is when he touched the UFO the first time. Right. Because he was trying. What he wanted to do is figure out, is this a ceramic? Is this a metal? Right. Is this a form of plastic? Because he says the colors are not, per se, reflective. Right. They look like a metal. But what he said was it was cold to the touch, which leads him to the assumption that it's a metal. Right. But he does not believe that that metal is something that we have here on Earth. Right. Which I think is a really safe assumption. But again, if it was buried and we uncovered it, does Mm. that mean that UFOs have really been here for thousands of years? Oh, yeah. It would have to be. I just think of uh, War of the Worlds. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely dead on. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that would be dead on. A That's very scary similar, as heck. Oh, yeah, big time. Wait, hold on. Oh, man, this just occurred to me. 
ship's entirely intact. It's not rusting. It was sealed up all that time. If there was nothing inside of it, is that more scary or less scary? Less. Well, no, more scary. I, I, actually. I think it's more scary. Someone's coming back to it. That is true. That's, that is these true. are the things that keep me up at night, Bert. See, but like I would sit there and I would question if if we if I was man, I've got so many thoughts going through my brain. Let me stop myself now. I know, I feel it. If I was the one that found this on an archaeological dig, right? I would question. This is clearly buried here. Am I about mm-hmm. to unbury an entire civilization that we don't know anything about? Right. That's your first thought, probably. First thought, especially right. if we're able to get inside of it, right? Like if I'm mm-hmm. them and I pull it in and there's nothing yeah. inside there, I go, How is this like a get garage for a car? Mm-hmm. How'd they even get the door open? Like I got so many questions. There's a lot to it, Nick. Right. There's a lot to this. Wait till we get to the next section. Uh, you keep saying this and it is, it's, you, it's escalating. We're escalating you are, here. You're about to pee pee in your pants. Oh boy. I'm prepared. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go to that section now? Uh, yeah. I, like, I mean, if I got to be scared, I don't want to think about being scared. Oh, you're I not going to be, be scared. scared. Oh, okay. But you're going to sit there. I can almost guarantee, and I'm just going to call it. Okay. You're going to have some type of facial reaction where you're like, where in the world did any of this come from? This is probably the meat and potatoes. This is is by far the most exciting part of this entire story. All right. I want to give it to me. (laughs) Let's stop talking about let's be about let's go. Boy, that Bob Lazar, he a squirrely one, isn't he? <laughs> he going is. over there. Oh, Bob Lazar, he got some stuff. Listen, you guys, mom, stop looking at me. Don't even, don't even, don't even look at me. Okay. We're not talking about this part two stuff. Okay. Listen, this was a long one. I mean, we're on our 17th hour. Listen, we had to do a part one, part two, part three, part four, part five. Listen, a whole bunch of parts. But that just means you guys have to tune in later. You got to tune in next week. Next week. Okay. I lied. It's going to be a two-parter, but listen, these two parts are bangers. Listen, you guys know I got to leave you on a cliffhanger. (laughs) That's my MO. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nick, this is really your fault. This is really your fault. It's not my fault at all. Go ahead and tell them, go ahead and tell them. Tell them what? Yeah. Tell them it's your fault. I, well, I don't know what we're talking about, but uh, it's yeah. his fault. It's, his, it's, it's, fault. it's his fault. Two-parter. That's, that's it's his fault. Oh, yeah. Why I are love we making him wait, Nick? Let's just release a four-hour podcast. It's fine. No, no. I'd split it up into 10-minute segments and make him wait. <laughs> ten, like, I'm the cruel one here. I'm terrible. Man. Nick a dog. I'm the sad. worst. Well, the biggest thing is you guys are going to want to tune into next week's episode where we continue with the story of Bob. We've uncovered a lot of juicy stuff, but not the juiciest. We kept that for the end, as we always do. Oh, yes. But thank you all for for showing up to this song and dance. And we'll see you again next week. Goodbye. See ya. See ya.